This episode of The Candid Frame is brought to you by the Charcoal Book Club. Their carefully curated selection reflects the best in contemporary photography and all for a reasonable price. And they are delivered directly to your doorstep each month. They offer free shipping to the U.S., Canada, and the U.K. It's subsidized elsewhere. It's a great way to begin or expand your photo library. Join the club at charcoalbookclub.com today and remember to use the code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout and receive a 10% discount on your first membership payment. If you listened to the previous episode, you know that my studio experienced some flood damage. It put production of the show on hold while we repair the space and make some structural changes to prevent it from happening again. But I still wanted to release an episode to end the year, and it gave me an excuse to invite two friends of the show, Sean Tucker and Jeffrey Sidoris. You likely know Sean through his YouTube channel and Jeffrey from his various podcasts, including his show Process Driven. Both bring a thoughtfulness and a genuineness to their content that I am really a big fan of. I always enjoy my conversations with them, and if they were in driving distance, I would likely see them every week, but we'll have to do with using the internet. I hope that this episode helps you to think about where you are in your creative life and where you hope to be in the coming year. This is Ibarian X, and welcome back to The Candid Frame. Jeffrey, Sean, thank you so much for, for joining me on a Sunday. Absolutely. I know you guys can always have better things to do, but... You, you take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I always enjoyed talking with you guys, and I thought, oh, it would be fun to sort of wrap up the year just having us sit down and a chat, because you, you guys have always been very thoughtful in terms of how you speak about things and how you think about things. And I have always enjoyed listening, but I've also enjoyed sitting down and talking with you guys and... Rather than do a typical interview for the end of the year, especially with all the stuff that's been going on uh, the last month, I thought I'd just do something that's just pure fun. So uh, I'm glad that uh, the two of you could join me. Love it. Thank you for, uh, so for It's asking. a relief, honestly, because I thought we felt like we were being called into <laughs> podcasting principal's office because we were in trouble with something. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Well, the ruler is now, just... What uh, have we done? We're not in trouble. trouble. It's okay. <laughs> he just wants a chat to see how we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking about, okay, what can we talk about? And one of the things that I've been thinking about is just kind of where I'm at in terms of my life and my my career and I think I think as part of just aging perspectives tends to shift and priorities shift and the definition of what's important and not important really becomes a, a factor especially when you're at an age like mine where people start you know passing away and you know and you see you really have a sense of how finite the time is and for me it's just like okay is the stuff that I always thought was important is really that damn important? And how do I want to spend the time that I do that I do have? Yesterday I was reading an, uh, an article that kind of gave me the spark of what I'd like to talk about today. Uh, the, the Mexican filmmaker uh, Alejandro González Iñárritu, uh, who I know you guys are probably familiar with, but for those who are not, he's he's directed The Revenant, Amores Peros, Birdman, just an amazing director, and he. He said this in the interview that I thought really was just 
kind of genius, and I'll just read it. It says, both success and failure are great imposters. Success can be more dangerous than failure. Failure is a refuge where you go lick your wounds. It teaches you a lot. It makes you wiser. Success can be more misleading and intoxicating. When you succeed, there isn't necessarily any growth, but maybe even quite the opposite. We have been convinced that success is a real place where an external goal will solve your insecurities, your fears. But when you attain it, you realize this external goal won't solve anything. It's only temporary. I've learned not to take success seriously. It's nice, and I'm thankful for it. It's definitely more pleasing than failure, evidently. And you prefer it. But I no longer need to race towards success. And th- th- there's a whole lot there. Where, where was this from? This was in the Los Angeles Times yesterday. LA Times, okay. Yeah, that, that really kind of that really spoke to me because of the idea of my assessment of my success and my failure has obviously been colored by society's definition of what that is, especially as an artist, as a photographer, as a podcaster, whatever it is. You know, there there are these things that when people ask you what they you do. I've always felt that there was an implication that are you successful at what you're doing, which means do you earn money from this? Do you make a living from this? You know, from most of the stuff that I love to do, which includes my own personal photography and my and the podcast, no, I don't earn a living from it. And for a long time, I felt that I was somehow not successful because I wasn't able to make it lucrative in that way to the point that I was just doing that. I've come to the the point where I'm okay with that. I earn a living as a photographer, but I work for the Huntington Library here in Southern California. I do interesting work. I like the people that I work with and it allows me the freedom and the flexibility to be able to do the things that I love, which include, you know, my photography, my podcasting, traveling, spending time with my family. And I don't have to be constantly obsessed with and we're going to be able to crack the nut this month. And I think with a lot of the conversations that I've had over the show, on the show over the years, underlying all of it has been this idea of there isn't a singular path to achieving this, this what we call a creative life, right? Whether it's as a photographer, as a musician, you know, as a painter. And I wanted just to, to sort of, I've been thinking about this in my own skull, but I thought, oh, I can't think of two better guys to discuss that very concept with. Let's just sort of jump into it. And, you know, there's no formal reason for this conversation. Just see where kind of where it goes. So either, either, either of you can sort of jump in and with your thoughts about what I just read. I, can I ask a question? <laughs> yeah. Have you ever defined success for yourself? And, and the reason I ask is because I, I think for me, the way I feel about myself most of the time, I purposefully haven't defined success. So I never give myself the opportunity to, the opportunity to, to feel or be successful. So I always feel unsuccessful. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah. I haven't defined it. I don't, I don't know what that looks like. I just know that I haven't hit it. Right. So I get to just feel basically unsuccessful all the time mm-hmm. because I don't have that target. I don't know what the target is that I'm supposed to be hitting or I haven't defined that target, maybe so I don't have to hit it and then feel disappointed about not hitting it. If I keep it nebulous, then 
I don't know, in a weird way, there's less pressure on me for not hitting something that I haven't defined, if that makes sense. Um, I mean, it, yeah. it makes uh, sense I mean, in my this, head. <laughs> yeah. And I do exactly the same thing. I have not defined it. Yeah. All I know about what I deem as success is being able to do what I do more. That's it. I want to have more time yeah. to do those things and not some of these other things that I'm doing, you know, in order to, you know, make a living or to, you know, maintain the house. It's like, I just right. want, right. you know, I just want, like, for example, Douglas Kirkland, who recently passed away, uh, his wife was the machine that kept the machine running. Wow. To the, the extent that all he had to focus on was his work, right? She ran the business, she did the marketing, she did all that stuff. And that was her, that was her thing. Wow. And what a terrific relationship. What a terrific collaboration. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, he just could be forever childlike in his, in his desire to discover, to explore, to connect with people. And wow. I want that, ex I want those experiences. That for me, I, I think is sort of the measure of success for me. It's not just, just, just not making the work, but the work leading me to have life experiences, especially being able to connect with others. That for me would be it. So there's no really sort of hard definition beyond the fact that I just know that what I do get from it now, I really enjoy and I just want more of it. Hmm. Yeah, it's been, it's been sort of the same for me, I think I defined a little bit what I meant by success for myself when I started, certainly when I started the YouTube channel, I, I read that um, now infamous Kevin Kelly, Thousand True Fans article. And I and I always had in my head, I don't care what, what big number ever comes attached to what I do. I just need enough of a core group of people who care about what I do, like you say, that will fund my life so I can live and keep making that work. And I've been very lucky that for three years that's been possible, but it's going away. And that, that I've had to face is like, that's not going to be there forever. I, th I think there's an assumption. Like if you set up a goal for yourself like that, once you cross a threshold, you can relax because it's there forever. And that's never true. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's very fleeting. So I'm already having to adjust and think about the future. And I'm taking myself back to school to study again, to work out what the next career looks like because I don't trust anything that's happening now. I mean, if that tells me anything, it tells me that, that, that m maybe the striving for whatever it is, is a constant state. And if we don't get used to that, then, then, then maybe we always feel like we're failing. I don't feel like I'm failing. I also don't feel like I'm failing because what I'm doing is plateauing and not really growing anymore. People aren't watching as much anymore. I don't feel like I'm failing because the work that I'm producing, I honestly think is better than it's ever been just taste change and people move on and but the work hasn't the work isn't worse it just means that this is how things go in reality and and so that means that i need to change again and adapt again and and that's what i'm in the process of right now but again like i i mean like that um in your youtube quote i, I think i've learned enough by now to know that if that doesn't happen i don't i don't grow like I read a lot of spirituality stuff and there's this, well, every spirituality has a version of this, but there's a guy from the States, Jeffrey will know, Richard Raw, uh, who, who always says, we have a drinking game on the other podcast. Yeah, take a drink. Um, who says, who says the only time, the only times you're growing as human beings are in times of great love or great pain. And that's always meant to me that in the difficult times where things are in flux or things aren't stable or known, 
I can pay attention because those are times when I'm actually going to be developing. And I think the same is true for whatever artistic outlet you have. If you can just coast because you feel like whatever you're doing is working for you and you're quote unquote successful and you, you've hit some kind of goal and it's stable, chances are you're riding that out and you're not looking for the next thing because whatever it is, 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 is working. You're not adapting. You're not adjusting, you know? Jeffrey's got his hand up. This is weird having video with Jeffrey. <laughs> what, what if you feel like you're coasting, but you you don't know where to pivot? You can't. It, it, Sean and I talk about open world games a lot, and and I hate open world games because I don't like being just dropped into the world and saying, "Okay, you can do whatever you want to do. Go do something." And yet, that's pretty much my daily life. I can do whatever I want to do, mm-hmm. but it's it's deciding what to do. And, and trying to figure out the parameters and implications and, and payoffs and, and what it's going to cost. And like all of those things weigh into it. And I end up feeling paralyzed because I, even though I have all of this freedom, I don't know what to do with it. Mm. That makes sense? No. Yeah. 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 You're speaking to a mirror, you know, because <laughs> you're, you're on the same page. Yeah. yeah. I, I really am reliant on, on structure. That's how my brain works. I have to be things, either they have to be structured for me or I have to structure them myself. And the idea of just pivoting on sort of an impulse does not work for me because there's no, there's no sort of clear path, which is kind of odd considering that I thrive on that when I'm photographing on the street, Mm. that not knowing what's next or what's around the corner or what's, you know, I, I love that on the street. But when it right. comes to other things, I, I feel like I don't have the bandwidth to be able to, it's not so much make the good choices, but to make choices consistently that it results in an outcome that I want. Right. Yeah. Right. That those those choices are consistently leading somewhere in roughly the same direction at roughly the same pace. Yeah, right. Right. There right. With you. Cause I know yeah. that there are going to be, there's going to be moments when I realize, Oh, you know, I'm off course and right. all this stuff. And it's not that I have to have it rigidly defined. I just have to be in the sort of the ballpark. And my, my radar is, is, has never been, been like that. I, I mean, I've tried to like make a plan on paper, but even that process gets me gets me stumped hmm. right because i'm trying to think ahead so many steps and then at some point i just it just becomes a fog yeah yeah i just came back that- from london and like i'm spending time with like two photographers who who are both working on longer term projects what one was joshua jackson the other was uh, maria lax both of whom have put out books before and long-term projects and just talking to them i realized like that's in terms of the photography, that's the next part of the journey. What you're saying is working in one vein for a while and to produce a body of work rather than what I've been doing up until now, I think, which is just going out and capturing whatever I happen to see on a day, mm-hmm. letting life come to yeah. you rather than going out to it. I mean, it's the last five years I put out these little books of that they're just called collections, which, which are 90 images from that year. And I'm stopping that this year. Next year, beginning of next year, I'm going to start doing shorter form zines around a theme because I know that's now where I have to grow up as a photographer. I have to stop just going out and taking whatever comes at me. And I have to start in, in, in the, in the quiet of my office at home, choose a direction to go out 
and then try. And that doesn't mean it will work. Most of the time it won't work. I've already tried a long-term project up here, which has fallen flat on its face. It's not going anywhere, but I'm looking for the next one, looking for the next one. And that feels like the next kind of growth point for me is to, is to look longer term to tell those, which I think for people like you and I are barring X who, who, who are by and large known as sort of street photographers, that's, that's a growth point for us or for any street photographer where you start to go, what do I actually want to say? Rather than just capturing something that might look aesthetically nice because people mm-hmm. go nuts over a shadow. What, what do I, what do I say with this work? And, and that's the hardest part I've realized. And it sounds like it's what you're saying as well is I, I don't know what to say. Like I, to, to sit down and just come up with what I'm going to put my energy into for the next while is very difficult because I get crippled by, yeah, but I need to guarantee it's going to work before I plow all this energy, which we can never do. You have to just start. Yeah. You have to choose and you have to start and you have to start walking, expecting that it probably won't work out, but giving it your very best shot. And one of those is going to take and then you go for it. But but I don't know another way yet to do it. But I feel like that's that's the next stage of the journey. For yeah, me anyway. that's that's an awareness that I have come into over the last couple of years. And like like you, it's kind of figuring out, OK, exactly what do I want to explore? And I was having I had a conversation yesterday with Harvey Stein. Mm-hmm. who's a legendary street photographer. He's been making books and photographs for over 50 years. And Coney Island has been one, one project he's been doing for 50 years. Mm-hmm. But he's also done other projects. And he said that he's always working on multiple, multiple personal projects, yeah. some, some of which culminate in a book and some of which don't end up seeing the light of day. Some that sort of end up working or others that just peter out. And that, that was really good for me to hear because I think sometimes I, I I think about the limitations of time that I have and think that, Oh, I have to pick just one. Mm. And the reality is I don't have to pick just one. And you you end up putting a ton of pressure on yourself too, don't you? Yeah. So I'm just going to, you know, start playing in different sandboxes and just see where it goes. And I think that just making that choice is going to provide me something that beyond what I've been able to sort of fulfill by just going out in the street and just making street photographs. I mean, I've known that I need to, mm. to f- focus on some sort of theme or some idea and I have the skill set to be able to do it. I just have to make the choice what that's going to be. And yeah. I'm not going to be able to think myself into doing it. I'm just going to have to go out there, grab the camera and just start making the work. And I'm, and I'm good with that. But as you said, you know, I can't be married to one being quote unquote successful because if I start faltering and I'm not producing as much work or if it's not working to the, in the way that I think it should, then I'm going to be on the you know, unhappy road to uh, self-loathing and <laughs> depression. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I'd rather not go there. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean so, so hanging out with Josh, for example, and I, I, I do blow smoke up Josh's ass quite regularly. So forgive me, but like, Joshua's like, approach is he's working on... 15, 20 projects at any one time. Uh, and they're not for now. He, he, he's got such a long-term view. He doesn't post a lot to social media. That's not what it's about, getting that short-term attention. He's, he's capturing things that look interesting now, but he knows in 20 years will look crazy. And he's building those body of work, bodies of work to drop a, lot, a long way down the road. But he's collecting in these folders all the time, in these bins, in these different 
in these different collections of work with that long-term view. And I thought to myself, wow, in, in comparison to that, I am, a, I am a baby photographer. I've got a long way to go. That's how the greats approach this stuff. And so what I've done very recently, maybe this is a good thing to try, is just, and these zines that I'm doing are are a very small step in that direction. They're going to be very kind of discardable, lightweight zines, but it's just an attempt to make them more thematic and to pair them with writing, is to just, I started going through all my work from the last five, six, seven, eight years and start to see if there are themes already in all those images and put them into those Mm -hmm. folders. And I found when I walked away at the end of the day, I already had 40 folders with, with different themes. I'm like, okay, so it's already there. I'm just not paying attention because I'm going after, right. this is an interesting single image to, that I could show people today that would get me some short-term attention is absolutely the wrong goal. Instead of what, what am I intuitively drawn to? And could I develop one or 10 of these in the long run? It gives me a starting point that I don't have to sit on a couch from scratch and come up with a brilliant idea. I can look to what I'm already being intuitively drawn to been really helpful for me anyway. How's, how's this been with your painting? Similar in, in, in a lot of respects. I mean, I think I've spent a lot of time just exploring different kind of processes and techniques, but I haven't, I haven't really, I haven't really said anything. I mean, it, it all, it all kind of ends up saying something. Sean kind of pointed it out, I don't know, a while back when we were talking, he's like, if you, if you take a step back and look at all of the work that you've produced in the past several years, there's definitely a theme there. Mm. I may not like the theme. It might be a little heavy handed. It might be a little depressing. It might be a little fatalistic, but there's definitely a theme there. So I think last year in particular, I kind of took a break from it and just explored color and texture and, and just wanted to let go of some of the propaganda and some of the heaviness. It's still there, but if I, if I lean into it too hard, I, I get sucked down by it, you know, because it's a, a lot of it, it's a, it's a reflection of what's going on in the world, or it's a reflection of what I'm drawn to, or it's a reflection of just how I am in the world, which is not hugely happy normally, despite being happy when I'm making the work. So that's kind of interesting, but yeah, there, there are definitely some thematic projects that I'm looking at for next year. One of them, I, Sean and I've talked about it a little bit. I want to do something around JFK because it's the 60th anniversary of his assassination and uh, a listener happened to just out of the blue, uh, had a, a, a family member pass away and they had this treasure trove of, of original ephemera around JFK. And he reached out and said, Hey, you know, the family doesn't really want this. Would you like this? I said, yeah, absolutely. Please. Yes. Thank you. So I've got all of this original material to pull from. I think I can pursue that as a theme or as a, as a direction, as a narrative, and get away from it's still in that same wheelhouse because there's still power and greed and money and corruption and all that kind of stuff. But it, it's almost fictional in a way, instead of it being a, a reaction to the present. Mm-hmm. And I think that might be a little more interesting. I'd also like to do that with podcasting. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you and I have ever really talked about what your goals or what your thoughts were or what your expectations were around the candid frame, but it seems like every podcast project that I think of I mean, I'm thinking about it as it's been running for 25 years, Sean, and I kind of joke about this. What, what is, how does it go, Sean? I've, I already, I, I designed the merch before I figure out the idea. Absolutely. He's got killer logos <laughs> for about 50 different podcasts <laughs> and they're all great ideas. So, I, but I, I tend to think I've kind of been thinking about podcasting in, in, in much the same way that you guys are, are talking about 
photography and that we've just been kind of talking about art in, in that why not think of these things as, as little pilots, as I'm going to do six episodes of this idea, or I'm going to do eight episodes of this idea mm. and put it up and out. And if it, if it sticks, if it's got some steam, or if I, if I enjoy it and, and there is still more to that story to tell, great, then pursue it. But it doesn't have to be, okay, what are we going to do on episode 300 when we've got 20,000 listeners and Squarespace comes knocking to sponsor this? Like, it doesn't have to be that. It can just be an exploration of an idea. I want to have eight conversations with different DPs about whatever it is. You know, it could be anything. And let it be what it is. You know, I've talked about doing a music show for a long time and I love the idea, but I put so much pressure on myself of, well, what if it doesn't find an audience or what if it doesn't get sponsorship or what if it does like in the meantime, I'm not having those conversations that I want to have. I'm not doing that research yeah. on, mm-hmm. you know, favorite, you know, first songs from first albums of the 1970s. I'm not doing any of that stuff. I'm denying myself the, the, the pleasure that I get out of doing that kind of work because I've already saddled myself with what it has to be to be a success. Mm-hmm. Well, first off, I love the idea of doing like themed uh, sequence of themed episodes. I mean, I think it's sort of a wonderful idea. And the great thing about it is that it, it's our show. We can do whatever the hell we want right. with right. it, which is right. one of the reasons I really love the show is that people can tell me anything they want about the show, including what they don't like about it. But ultimately mm-hmm. I get to, I get to decide what it's going to, going to be for me in terms of uh, i i don't look at my stats for my show anymore i don't see how many people downloaded a given episode or what the you know what, when did that stop for you out of curiosity oh probably a couple of years ago really yeah i just stopped because it because it, it didn't it didn't matter because i wasn't chasing advertisers so there's no reason for me to look at keep looking at those numbers in order to be able to, you know, explain to someone why they should sponsor, be a sponsor of my show. People come to me, and I get to decide whether or not they're a good fit or not, and you know, arrive at a number, and and you know that and that's it. That's all. So that that's not for me the the priority. Like you, uh, Sean, with with YouTube, I have no doubt that numbers in terms of people who listen to the show have probably gone down, but I I really don't. No, it's not that I don't care, but I, I feel like I can't allow that to sort of shape what I choose to do with the show. Because mm. ultimately, I created it because I wanted a show that I would want to listen to. And I always knew that the audience for this show was going to be smaller than a show that's dedicated to talking about gear mm-hmm. and equipment. And I was completely averse to it. because I, I, It's not what I wanted to do. So when when I think about the show... I just want to have conversations like this. I want them just to be more and more genuine. I want it to be not just about photography, but I want it to be about life and about what it is to be human and making choices. And I'm at that age where that, that those kind of conversations are important to me. And I understand that all of that stuff informs what we do with a, with a camera or a paintbrush or a guitar. So I want to have conversations that that reflect that and yeah i know that there are not going to be as many people who are going to want to tune in for an hour to listen to that and that's okay and the other thing about the show is that my hope for it is that while i'm when i'm dead and gone 
that this will be an archive of what photography, the photography community was during this period of time. That somehow this, all these conversations find, find a home somewhere. So, uh, in the meantime, I just want to enjoy it. Cause every time I get to sit down with someone for an hour, man, I'm, I'm really excited. So oh, I got a chance to talk to somebody, you know, <laughs> about something that I love and get, gain some insight and have just a real pleasure just enjoying somebody else's company. Yeah. And I think a big part of it is the fact that after years of, of insecurity and self doubt and not really understanding why I was the way I was now that I've finally have gotten to the point where I feel comfortable in my own skin. I feel very comfortable being able to sit down with anybody and just talking. And I feel like by me being genuine and invite someone else to be genuine. And then we have an experience together that I think is wonderful. And the fact that I can share it with an audience is good enough. I get approached by people and businesses that want to appear as either guests on the show or they want to be a sponsor. But it's often clear to me that they've never listened to an episode and don't know what the candor frame is about. And when that happens, it's easy for me to say no to them because it's really important to me that I associate myself with people who understand why this show exists. I want them to get and support the work that we do. The Charcoal Book Club does that, and the feeling is mutual. They are a photo subscription service that supports the work of great photographers and gets their books into the hands of photographers and book lovers, and that's something that I believe in. When a new book arrives on your doorstep, you are guaranteed not only a quality monograph, but work that you will appreciate and that will inspire you. Regardless of the genre of photography you practice, you'll find something you will likely return to over and over again. And if you don't like that month's release, you can choose an alternative book of equal value in their catalog. They offer free shipping to the US, Canada and the UK. It's subsidized elsewhere. Sign up today and make sure to use the promo code THECANDIDFRAME at checkout to enjoy 10% off your first membership payment. Becoming comfortable in your own skin, how did that affect your curation process of who you wanted to talk to? Did it, did it have an effect on who you would allow yourself to approach or who you wanted to approach as you started feeling more and more comfortable? He's, ask, he's asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I'm so transparent. <laughs> no, it, it's, it, it is going forward. Yeah, because um, a friend of mine, Alan Clark, recommended that I, I make the show bi-weekly. And that was a really good suggestion because at the time, I was running myself ragged trying to create content. And when things would come up, I I would just be kind of frantic and I didn't have the time to really dedicate to the amount of reading and research on each subject as I wanted to. By going back weekly, it really gave me a much needed breather. And so I was able to make more sort of informed choices in terms of how, who I wanted and who I wanted to talk with. Not to the degree that was sort of ideal, but then when the flooding happened in the in the garage and I was like completely uh, having to freeze the, the production of the show, that even gave me more time to think about it. And I realized, oh, okay, yeah, I want to be able 
to choose people, not simply because I, I, I like their work, um, but because I think there's the spark of an interesting conversation that we can have, which is still going to be tricky because there are some people who I really don't know beyond what I see in their work. Right. Right. Because they, there's, there are a lot of photographers that I have in purposely that are just in the beginnings of their public career and who have not been interviewed countless times and don't have a bunch of interviews that I can call from. So, uh, but I'm, I, I usually am a good, have a good sense of by looking at the work that there's the germ of a really good conversation to be had. And then I just trust my skill set that even if that person is inexperienced in talking about it, that I can draw, I can make them comfortable enough that I can draw something interesting from it that I think will make me and the audience happy. Right. Without mentioning any names, have there been photographers whose work you maybe weren't much of a fan of going in and you, you invited them on to gain a little more understanding and to get a little bit of that story to help you understand the work maybe and then come away with a different opinion? No, but I should. No, let's not say should. I am interested in doing more of that mm. for the same reason that I think it, 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 it's an interesting conversation and it provides an opportunity for me to be challenged. Yeah. It also sounds like it's, it's been a case for you of, okay, because you've mentioned sort of finding a comfort with your own skin, but it also sounds like you now have a comfort with your own skills as somebody who can talk to people and interview people. That that gives you now a freedom. Plus, you've reordered what you care about now. I think it was it was that comedians in cars show, the Jerry Seinfeld one. Yeah, and he had Alec Baldwin on, and uh, he was asking Alec Baldwin, you know, what are you, what's going on these days? And Alec Baldwin said something like, uh, you know, I'm getting to the age now where the list of things I have to do before I die is getting shorter and shorter. But he said I really have to do those things on that list. The things that are left, I really mm. have to do them. And it sounds like there's like a really nice distilling process for you. So in, com- in combination of getting to know yourself very well now, trusting your skills and what you have, have to offer, being really, really clear about what you care about now, that moving into whatever you do next, maybe whether or not that's quote unquote popular is far less important to you. But, but making, I mean, the thing I heard you say is, is about this archive of work you're making. It's legacy stuff, you know, and I, I certainly felt that the last few years is what I make now has to be something that survives after I die in some form. And, and maybe, maybe the book I put out last year is the closest I've got to that. Like, this is what I believe here at this point in my life. It exists in the world and will do after I'm gone. I don't care how many people are reading it. I just care I left it behind. Like, that's more and more important to me now mm-hmm. than chasing numbers. That doesn't look like success to me anymore. It looks like a waste of time in some ways because it's not about, that's not about meaning. It's about filling a neediness in my soul rather than like, no, I need to make work that, that means something that, it, that, that lasts after me. Maybe some of that going on. That neediness I think is integral to why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. You know, the reason why we, we, we choose to create the things we create is, is it fulfills a need whether mm-hmm. we understand the why of it or not. Mm-hmm. It, there's no real logic to it oftentimes. Mm-hmm. It's all about, emotion, the way I feel physically, 
I mean, I can't, I, there's not, there's not a creative that I've ever really had a significant conversation about who's looked at it in, in, in a clinical way. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, it's the technical process, whatever way, you know, you, you choose to create, but ultimately it's about how it feels. Mm-hmm. And I think that, and I really want to hear you guys sort of riff on it. It's like, it's not just about feeling good. It's just about feeling. It's about feeling good, feeling bad, feeling up, feeling down, embracing all of it and using it in whatever way that you can in that moment to make something. Because mm. if, if, if I only wait to create something when I, when I feel good, I produce three episodes a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. For me, I guess it's, it's, it's different kinds of feeling. It's, it's, when I say neediness, I think I've, I've had to admit in my own life that there's a part of me that wants to make things because I want to work out what will be popular because I don't feel like I'm enough. And I feel like if I make something that's mm-hmm. popular, people tell me it's good enough and that means they think I'm good enough. And that's where it gets very messy. And those feelings you have to be very careful of because that's not a good motivator because you will make middle of the road crap because you think it's popular because you need to prop yourself up, yeah. your failing self-esteem. But at some point, there's a different kind of feeling that comes in. There's like a deep sense of satisfaction after a piece of work that you've made because, and it's not about how many eyeballs it got on it. It's about the depth of the response from the few who came to that work that become, that starts to take over and become more and more important. And that for me is now what drives me. Jeffrey and I have talked about this often. It's like, if we get an email because someone listened to the show or because someone read my book or responded to a particular video or something that, that really affected their life. And, and I mean, there have been emails where, where people have said, I, I didn't mm-hmm. take my own life because of something you've said. That one email, it, it's not even on the same scale as how important it is that I get X number of views on what I did. That stuff is so frivolous and irrelevant. I, and and the, the motivation is is shifting now. So I'm looking for that second kind of feeling where it's like, this is meaningful work. This is important work rather than this is popular work because that the affirmation you get from popularity is, is so fleeting and not important and ultimately not satisfactory because no matter what level you think you would reach where you'd feel satisfied when you get there, you won't, it doesn't work like that. But one person thinking something you did was meaningful will top you up motivation wise for the rest of the year. And I've experienced that over and over again. So my, my target has changed completely now. And I'm trying to work out how to make the more meaningful stuff, not the more popular stuff. That makes sense. Yeah. But you said something interesting just now in terms of making the important work. Mm. What's it mean? I know what it means for me. Um, it's dangerous to say what it means for everyone else. Like for me, it's, I have a very specific, this is why I think it's good to get your top shelf. Why? Like, why do you exist? Why do you do what you do? And everyone's why is different. So I'm happy to share mine, but just, it's not, it's not to be copy and pasted because I think everyone has their own drive. But for me, it's always Mm -hmm. been, I've had a story that I've lived where there have been too many people in my life who've specifically struggled with mental health issues and especially anxiety who have not been able to think through their own problems and have ended up sabotaging their own lives. That's my top shelf why. If I could, that's why I studied psychology. It's why I joined the church and went into youth work. It's why that my YouTube channel has the flavor that it does. It's why I wrote the book the way that I did. It's why I'm taking myself off to study 
counseling now to be an accredited counselor in this country. And if you take all those away, I'll find another way to do it. When I make something that goes out into the world where somebody says, hey, I could not see a way forward and I was stuck. Something you said mm. helped me find a way forward. That's my important work. And I know that because of how I'm wired, my personality, the difference I want to make in the world, the story I've lived and how I've seen other people struggle. So I've cleared that up for myself. That's why I think it's really important to do that kind of introspection beyond just what do I want to make and what will people like on Instagram? Because if you, if, if you just try and live on like, what's the surface stuff? What gear do I need to buy? What techniques do I need to use? Um, what logo goes on this, whatever it happens to be like, <laughs> whatever that happens to be, whatever the details of that happen to be, if you play on that area the whole time and you don't dig down and go, what is important work to you? What do you want to leave behind? I think, I think it, it's very hard. You don't have the target. It's like Jeffrey asked earlier, what, what does success look like? What, what, what is the ultimate goal of this thing? Why do you do it? Um, and everybody's different. I, I could never answer that for anyone else. But that's certainly for me. Oh, is this me? Yeah. <laughs> should, I, should I say something? Please. Um, why is a hard one? Why is a hard one? And I, th I think I think I'm only really realizing or or being able to formulate what it is. You know, I think it was. I don't know if I don't. I don't remember if this was Sean and I talking or if it was just a monologue. But it was. You know, when my mom used to ask me, "What do you want to? Do? If you could do anything, what would you do?" And I said, "I would just." learn. I would, go, I would take workshops. I would go to schools. I would take classes and I would just learn as much as I could and then move on to the next thing and learn, get good at it, understand it well enough, and then move on to the next thing. And I, Adrian and I were talking not too long ago and I, I was telling her this story and she's like, well, you've spent your life doing just that. You know, look at, look at your work history. Look at, look at the, the things that you've done. You've, you've done them long enough until you could get good enough to sort of set that internal marker and then you moved on to do something else. And I think, I think that really is my why along with sharing the results. You know, if I can, if I can keep learning new things and keep experiencing different things, that makes me able to talk to more people and not be an outsider asking questions, but, but feel like I can be part of a conversation. You know, I, I feel like whether I'm talking to, somebody who's been in the theater or somebody who's a blue collar worker or somebody who is a photographer or somebody who's a writer, whatever it is, there's a long list of people. I feel like I can have a really, I may not know all of the details and nuance of, of their particular vocation or endeavor or, or whatever, but I can be present in the conversation. I can be, I can be the audience asking questions and then I can record that and, and signal boost that and release that. And maybe somebody else hears it and it changes the course of their life. Or as Sean said earlier, we get these emails where something that we've said, or he's said, or I've said, or whatever, mm -hmm. it elicits a response that, that transcends likes, follows money, power, prestige, because it's, it, it's vulnerability. That's, yeah. it's allowing yourself. And I've done it with people. I've reached out to people and, and, and been, as vulnerable and as honest and as, as in some cases effusive as I can about what they've said or done or produced and how it affected me. And I think, man, at least f for me, that's, that's the, that's the it, right. Is, is mm -hmm. being seen and allowing someone else to be to be seen. You know, I, I've said for a long time and, and I think you and I, 
my Baryonyx have, have had this sort of same revelation, realization that our job is to make space. Our job is to make space so that person on the other side of the mic feels safe and comfortable and can mm-hmm. share a bit about, it, about their lives with us. Man, that, maybe that's my why, is just to, to live honestly, live curiously, live in a perpetual state of potential vulnerability so that people can see that that's okay to be that way back to me. Right. Yeah. Vulnerability is a superpower. It is. And it's one of the things that makes you the best at what you do. You know, I mean, the way you show up in in your show and have for 74 years now. (laughs) (laughs) 76, please. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. (laughs) You know, it's yours was one of the early shows that I listened to it and you modeled how conversation can can take on its own essence you know it was you you were one of those people that that you just show up and and i want to show up there are a few people that that i i kind of point to as models or sometimes even mentors of that but that's all i really want to do that's my drive that's my that's my why i guess is just to show up and Mm. be present and be honest and be fallible and be okay being present and honest and fallible maybe and maybe it's yeah. that way in the work too, in the, in the painted work. Maybe it's that way in the, in the written work. It's just to, to show up and be as present as I can and show you that it's okay for you to be showing up and being present back with me. And we can have that moment together. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Now then maybe I just don't know what I'm talking about, no, but that's okay do. too. Sounds like a yeah, pretty great why to me. Yeah. Because that, that vulnerability is what I like about both of you guys. It's what I love about both of you. You know, is your willingness to, to go there. And one of the things that I've come to understand, not just as a result of doing the show, but, but because of the people that I have in my lives, that being able to have a space where you can be vulnerable and genuine is kind of a luxury. I mean, I grew up, I grew up in, a, in a family where you did not talk about your feelings, where you didn't share about where you were at that particular moment in, in a way that opened you up for an attack or being mocked or all that other stuff. And so the more that I have been able to create that in my life, I've, I've valued it so much more, but I've also recognized that a lot of people don't have it, that they can't sit down and have a conversation like this with the people that are either, you know, in their immediate circle, even at the periphery and that the, you know, the work that we do, as much as we talk about, you know, the creative process and talk about photography or painting or whatever, ultimately, um, it's that space that we create that I think makes what we do so important and so valuable because it is, it is life changing to people who need it. You know, I, I, I think from the very beginning, I, I had this idea that if only one person out there listens to the show and it makes a difference in their lives, it's well worth doing. Because that's that's what how my life was transformed by people who did or said something that acknowledged me in a way that I wasn't being acknowledged in other aspects, you know, in other in any other facet of my life, and affirmed me in a way that I, I desperately needed. And that was enough to sort of get me through whatever challenges or difficulties I faced at that at that particular time. 
And some of those people have no idea that their presence in whatever way did that for me, that they were like a, a life preserver. And I completely recognize that that the same is happening for everything that I do, whether it's the podcast, whether it's the photography, whether it's the writing, that has the potential to do that. As long as I remember that, I think whatever choices that I make are, 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 are going to be are good choices. Because people often ask me, you know, when are you going to stop doing the show? And I was like, I got no reason to stop doing the show because I may not have reached that one person yet. I know I have, right? But I don't know who else is out there. And that's why I just keep doing it until I can't speak into a mic anymore. And I'm just drooling on it, which in itself might be my highly, highest rated show, but who knows? <laughs> it's fine art. <laughs> I kind of love that you have been able to articulate, but well, not kind of, I do. I love the way that you've been able to articulate that. And you've taken it that step further of not looking at, at, at stats, because ultimately you're, you're absolutely right. It doesn't matter because the stats don't show the people who really get it. The stats don't show people who that really connected with that, that you inspired them to pick up a book, to pick up a camera, to pick up a, a pen and start writing a typewriter, whatever it is. None of the metrics that we have been forced to or taught to value, none of them show that. And I think I get, I get stuck on that. I get stuck on, on still trying to play that game of, of, well, Squarespace needs 20,000 listens, um, you know, an episode or they're not going to talk to you. Okay. What if I'm not after 20,000? What if like, like you bought next, what if I'm after that one person and that email means more? I mean, I'm, Again, that's coming from a space of being very fortunate. And I, I know that I am extraordinarily fortunate to, to not have to worry about that. I know a lot of people who do have to worry mm -hmm. about it. And that, that, that is definitely a, a marker or a barrier or, or, or a, a milestone that has to be reached. But I think when it's, when it's not, you do get to stay present and you don't have to, you don't have to, to be sort of a populist or you don't have to you know, within realms of photography, you don't have to talk about gear and you don't have to talk about techniques and lighting and how to shoot a whatever it is. I don't know, because that's not what you're after. And I think, man, getting to that point where, where that's okay. And I struggle with it all the time with only X number of people listen and, and, and being okay that those people, yes, only X number of people listen, but they listen to every single thing you do. You know, there's this core group of people. We do these little live streams mm -hmm. in the morning, these morning walks and, it's become this small group that shows up every day and, and there's an exchange there every day. Sean, you've been part of these. There's a, there's a, there are comments every day. There are, there's, there are, it's bi-directional. It's not just me. It's, it's, and it's important and it's only 10, 12 people, 15 tops. Yeah. But I look forward to it in the morning and I miss it when we don't do it. And that has to tell me something that has to tell me that, that, that that's important. If no one else, it's important to me and it's important to the small group of people who show up. And that's all that counts, I think. Sean, you, you've been in an interesting position because you, you know, creating the, the, the channel and it becoming a revenue source helped to sort of change the dynamics of, of your life to a large degree. And unlike me and, and Jeffrey here, we weren't reliant on it for our income. So a lot of these considerations that that we're discussing in terms of not being obliged to to numbers and stats and the up and down of audience um, is very different. So you know you talked about 
you know, how the current situation is likely sort of shaping how you're looking at it. But can you talk about how that sort of shaped how you sort of looked at what you were doing and, and the kind of the choices you made? Yeah, I just, I think it just came down to dealing with uh, the temptation with every, which everyone has to face. When they start something like that, it gets a bit of traction. It is very tempting, especially when it's how you pay your bills or pay your mortgage to go, well, I know how to, you know, to use like icky corporate language. I know how to leverage this. Do you know what I mean? I can, I can go out and I can mm-hmm. make, I can make videos on gear. I, I know well that it, even if I just mention a lens enough in a video about something else that I could put the name of that lens in the title of the video, it'll get many more views. But I'm also aware that like, I, I won't like my work very shortly that I won't look back on it and go like, I think I made a great body of work here as a channel that I can leave behind when it's all said and done. Cause it will at some point be said and done, right? It's not going to go on forever. And I think I just decided very early on that that's not what this was for. I, I would rather, I mean, when I started that channel, I had a full-time job. It took me a couple of years to be able to step off and support myself with it. And in those first two years, there's, there's a beautiful, simplicity to it like i don't need it to support me i can make whatever i want to make and put it out there and i think i think that in itself is quite attractive to people like this kind of positive defiance like this is the work i want to make and want to see in the world i'm not playing the game and i was aware that it would plateau because it's only going to reach i mean how many people want to sit and listen to me witter on on a counter for 20 minutes i mean that's 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 a, a patience ask for sure like i knew it was going to only hit a certain group of people that are interested in that kind of stuff and i always said to myself if i if i if i'm ever faced with the choice it's never changed for me i've been lucky that i haven't ever been tempted to to flip it but i i always said like if there was the choice between having to make videos that i didn't really want to make so that i could keep this thing going in terms of this internet game or going back and getting a full-time job and just doing the one video a month that i started with and making the videos i wanted to make it was always a very very clear choice i feel so protective of what i've done to this point I wouldn't let anyone ruin that, myself included. And no, you couldn't pay me any amount of money to actually ruin what I've made to this point. That's how proud I feel of it. And I, and I have lots of offers. I have, mm-hmm. I mean, far less now, but I mean, certainly a couple of years ago, I had emails every single week offering me a lot of money to do videos on particular things. I had companies wanting to sell, send me very, very fancy gear that I could have sold on or they would give me a bunch of money on top of that i could keep the gear i had big big camera brands offering me ambassadorships and all the rest of it i i i was never tempted because i said there's there's a there's a tone of voice i have to this that says it does not matter what camera you use it 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 matters that you go out and make the work make it on your phone if you want and i would lose it's something it's something else i've been very very protective over i would lose my integrity if i changed that and that's not downing anybody who does a gear channel or anything like that if you started with that and that's what you want to do good for you go for it there's no integrity issue there but for me it would be because i said that's not what this is about from the beginning and and i would rather have this slide off into obscurity and go get a day job to pay the mortgage off but stuck to my guns the whole way through so that body of work lives after me as as an integral whole then make a mess of that work because it became tempting to make a bunch of money or to drag out that popularity for longer. It, it, it's, it's always been pretty clear, thankfully, in my case. And something just came up for me because I talked about, you know, the, the work 
how I wanted to sort of have a legacy after I'm gone. But I, it, it just to spur it on what you just said, you know, I think I uh, it may not end up being that. That's my hope that it is. But if it if it has and it is and it will change somebody's life, maybe that just has to be good enough. I've I've always felt like it, it, it's about realizing what we have control over and what we don't. You know, I, I have control over making the work I really believe in and want to see in the world, but I don't have any control over the response to it, you know? And and I, I think the minute I get that in my head, I can turn the dial down on the pressure I put on myself. And and we're all guessing. So making that important work, I think I know what that is for myself. I'm going to do the best I can, but I can't control how popular it is or how meaningful it is to people. But if I can get to the end of my days and go, I, I really did do a lot of, heavy self-work to try work out the answers to that question. And then I went to work trying to create things that I felt stood the best chance of being that in the world. As long as that was the intention was there, what it did or didn't do outside of that is, was really never in my hands in the first place. Hmm. It's just doing the work with some integrity. I think yeah. it's the best we can expect from ourselves. Well, if any, you know, if anything, I like the fact that I've been able to connect with you guys, even Same. though I was within probably a couple blocks of you in Paris a couple of years ago. <laughs> you were within just several you. feet of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, personally, that that's one of the funny. things I'm very grateful for, especially my friend's friendship with you, Jeffrey. Thank you. Same. You know, we, we, we connected immediately, understood each other in ways that uh, really we didn't have to sort of explain. I mean, yeah. when you speak and, yeah. and I speak, you know, we both are very simpatico, which I really... Yeah love and and with you sean um just even though we haven't had much time to speak i still i feel the very same way about you just watching your content just lets me know the kind of man you are you know the kind of presence you are and there's a word in spanish sincero which basically means sincere but to me that's all always been the very the ultimate compliment that i can give another person especially another man sincero and i feel i feel that way about both you guys Thank you. And uh, hopefully I won't miss you <laughs> as easily as I did the, the, that, that, that time. Um, God, that was so it fun. It would be great to uh, <laughs> see you in person, both of you. Yeah, I look forward to making that happen. But that's one of the things I'm very, very grateful for in terms of what the show has sort of provided me. And I think that would be a nice kind of wrap-up question for the conversation is is in terms of all the stuff that you, you, all the work that you've done on your respective efforts, what are you most grateful for? Sean, go ahead. Something, something I'm currently very grateful for is, is, um, is be, uh, I'm going around and doing these, these little sort of quite intimate talks around the, the book, getting in a room with people and hearing kind of those one-on-one -on -one stories about, about what we've been talking about, about how this, how this work is connected with them I, I'm just reminded again every time that happens that I, I, I'm 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 really not concerned with you know how far this thing reaches or what numbers are attached to it. When you're sitting and listening to that one person tell you what what something you did meant, which happened last week, you know, in these talks in London, it just uh, it just reminds you afresh why you do what you do. So, and and you know, for an introvert, it's not always easy. You know, going into a room of people and talking and then sitting around for afterwards and having conversations with people and you know, you get home, <laughs> I get home socially exhausted, but I couldn't be happier. Like that's, that's, um, I, I would happily be exhausted like that every day because it, it, it's, it's all the fuel I need to keep going. I, 
I think I'm most grateful for the ability to keep trying to figure it out. You know, that, that I have the, the freedom to try and answer some of the questions that I keep putting to myself and, and to try and figure out different ways to, to connect and show up and not have to be tied to deadlines or tied to outcomes. I mean, it's, it's a ridiculous position to be in, but it's not wasted on me because I, I think there, I think there is something good still yet to come and, and maybe for the people who have, who have connected with, with something that I've done or something that I've said for you, hopefully there will be more of that. But for those people who have no idea who I am and rightfully so, maybe I get to connect with you in the future. Maybe I, maybe the freedom that I am afforded now allows me to figure out some way to connect with you, some way to tell you my story or listen to yours or do both. And, and it becomes something bigger in the process. Maybe. Oh guys, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I really enjoyed this. I knew I was going to, but I enjoyed it even more than I thought I would. And, uh, I just want to wish the both of you a very wonderful holiday and a great new year. And, uh, I look forward to connecting up more than we have in the past going into the future. Same, same. Over the past 15 seasons, your contributions have helped support the Candid Frame. It has helped us meet our monthly production costs, as well as creating the Candid Frame app, which we have always made available for free. With the recent damage to the studio, we can really do with your financial support. And one of the ways you can do this is by becoming a Patreon supporter. You can contribute $5, 10 $20 or more a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash The Candid Frame. Though we'd love you to be a longtime supporter, your commitment for even three to six months would be helpful. Please consider doing it today. Visit patreon.com forward slash the candid frame and thank you so much for your support thanks to sean and jeffrey for joining us find out more about sean by visiting seantucker.photography.com and jeffrey at jeffreysedoris.com and if you're a fan of our work you can write a review on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts and share a favorite episode on social networks, be it Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. Remember to use the hashtag TheCandidFrame. You can support us financially by contributing via PayPal or Patreon. Thanks to Steve Nichols, David Libby, Raymond Combs, Mike from Switchback Guitar Works, Norma Dahl, Willie Oraldi, and Brian Rudolph for their generous contributions. And if you can't find every episode of the show on whatever service you use to listen to podcasts, download the Candid Frame app, available for both Apple iOS and Android. And because of your generosity, it's free to download and use. No additional purchases are required. The Candid Frame's audio engineer is Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. The show's senior producer is Cynthia Parker. And our music is from Kevin McLeod, whose royalty-free music can be found at incompetech.com. And this is Ibarian X, and this is The Candid Frame.